We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app welcome to overnight america with ryan Recker on kmox sponsored by michael's flooring the flooring experts michaelsflooringoutlet.com It's that time of night, you can't stay up tight. So come and join the people and I'm feeling all right. He run on Overnight America. Overnight America. Oh yeah, I got an email from Doug tonight, which was cool. And we hear his voice there with Donna. Welcome back to Overnight America, last hour of the show, at least for tonight. You can find me on Facebook, Ryan Wrecker Radio. would be a great way to message me on there. If we can hate Facebook together or Twitter, I'm there. But let's um, put a disclaimer out here real quick because we're going to talk about something that is pretty serious in nature and definitely adult-oriented. And I, I say this up front not because when we're airing this right now, it's 11.07 p.m. on Wednesday night here in St. Louis, Missouri. I do know that people listen in their car. So even though the kids wouldn't be listening right now, the opportunity, if someone is listening to this podcast later with kids around, this is a very serious uh, topic. And I just wanted to put that warning out there. But I think it's important to talk about. The BBC did an article and it talks about the atrocities that are going on in these prison camps in China. And I wanted to read some of the highlights of this. And it's very graphic at, at times. Um, I'm just warning you. But I think it's important that we point out that these camps have some pretty terrible stories coming out from those that have been able to get out of them. And it has to do with a group of people that are in the camps. They're called the, uh, I think it's the Uyghurs is how you pronounce it. It's spelled U-I-G-H-U-R. And you may have seen this printed in places. And I had to look it up just to make sure I was pronouncing that correctly. And this has been going on for years. And the Trump administration called out the atrocities going on. And unfortunately, it still goes on. And I don't know if the United States under a Biden administration is going to continue that or even take this as serious as it needs to be addressed immediately and continues to be uh, one of the major human rights violations in all of the world. So let me go through some of this BBC article that came out. 
In fact, we're actually going to have a guest on next Monday night that knows a lot more about this and has some more firsthand experience of what goes on inside of these prison camps. So again, last warning, I'm telling you now, women in China's re-education camps for the Uyghurs have been systematically raped, sexually abused, and tortured, according to details and new accounts obtained by the BBC. And they mentioned this a few times in the article, the people they spoke to, though they don't have a way to confirm this because it's not like you can send a journalist over to one of these prison camps to observe. But the stories that have been coming out of here have been consistent. The timelines match up. And even people that have worked there, ones that were not prisoners, have been able to confirm these things. So by all accounts, this is what goes on in these camps. And part of the story actually talks about how women get into these camps to begin with. And they talk about, said, sometime after midnight, they came to the cells to select women they wanted to take down into the corridors they called the black room. There's no surveillance cameras there. Several nights they took one of the main people that they talk about in this BBC story. And she said, perhaps this is the most unforgettable scar on me forever. I don't even want these words to spill from my mouth. And then she tells her story. It goes back um, to her nine months inside of this Chinese prison, um, a secretive system of internment camps in a region, uh, Xinjiang. According to independent estimates, more than a million men and women have been detained in the sprawling networks of camps, which China says exist for, quote, re-education of the Uyghurs in their other minorities. Uh, this is... Um, People that are from northern China normally, I think, have a Muslim background, but they find that when they come into it, um, they round them up and then put them into these prison camps if they find them crossing the border over to China. Human rights groups say the Chinese government has gradually stripped away the religious and other freedoms, uh, culminating with an oppressive system of mass surveillance, detention, indoctrination, and forced sterilization. Back in 2014, apparently there was a terror attack that were done by some Uyghur separatists. And because of that, China used that as an opportunity to round any of these people up and put them in these internment camps. The U.S. government said last month that China's actions since amounted to genocide, and it's 100 percent true. Uh, China says that the mass detention and forced sterilization are, quote, lies and absurd allegations. Does anyone here trust China? Anyone? Any, is there anyone here that should trust China? So firsthand accounts um, have been pretty rare, but several detainees and guards have told the BBC of what they've seen. And I'm going to explain to you some of the atrocities that are going on in here, and this is where it gets adult in nature. They say it's because of the restrictions China put in place uh, on reporters in the country, but travel documents and immigration records provided to the BBC corroborate the timeline of these stories. And they have no reason to believe that these are inaccurate in any way. Descriptions of the camp in some of these areas match satellite imagery. So they were able to confirm that way, too. And her descriptions of daily life, as well as the nature and methods of the abuse from former detainees, are consistent. One of them was a guard that worked inside. He said, my job was to report. Uh, no, excuse me, not a guard. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. They do quote a guard in this. But this is different. Uh, one of the women that they spoke to was detained for 18 months inside of the system. And her job was to, quote, remove their clothes above the waist and handcuff them so they cannot move. 
And then she explained, this is how we did it. You know, you cross their wrists behind their head to demonstrate. Then I would leave the women in the room and a man would enter, some Chinese man from outside or a policeman. I sat silently next to the door. And when the man left the room, I took the woman for a shower. The Chinese men would, quote, pay money to have their pick of the prettiest young inmates. Some of the women who were there were taken into cells night after night. Some never returned. Those who were brought back were threatened with their lives if they told others what happened inside of that cell. Testimony that was shared with the BBC said some of the most horrendous evidence they've ever seen since the atrocity began is what was presented to them as part of this article. This confirms the very worst of what we've heard. It provides authoritative and detailed evidence of sexual abuse and torture at a level clearly greater than what we have assumed. This BBC article, by the way, came out yesterday, and this has been known for years, and we've seen these things known for years. And for some reason, we continue to play along with China like they're a good actor, and we give them responsibilities, including in organizations like the United Nations, and let them sit as part of groups of the United Nations that discuss and try to decide human rights. And forget that. I, I, this is amazing that they're even allowed at the table of anything civilized. The Uyghurs are mostly Muslim Turk minority group, about 11 million in the northwestern city in China, a region that borders Kazakhstan, and home to other people, um, one of which was quoted in this article. Uh, it says the couple returned in late 2016 after a five-year stay at Kazakhstan, where they're interrogated upon their arrival, had their passports taken away, and a few months later were told that they needed to attend a meeting with other Uyghurs in uh, Kazakhs in a group that was rounded up after that meeting and they were detained. The women had all their jewelry taken away. They said their earrings were yanked out of their ears and led to bleed. They were herded into a room. Among them was an elderly woman who was later befriended by the person that the BBC was speaking to. They stripped them down to their underwear. Um, they humili humiliated them, made the, forced them to cut their hair. Now, again, that's another thing of uh, religious expression for this group of people. And, left alone and just the way you saw them treat people imagine them treating elderly women that way it's very difficult to even imagine that but imagine it was happening in front of your eyes and you're helpless to all of this the women were told to hand over their shoes and clothes and they were taken to their cell blocks similar to small chinese neighborhoods it just was rows of buildings you can see the satellite imagery with all of this they were forced to watch propaganda programs uh, each cell had about 14 women, bunk beds, bars, windows. And when she first saw women being taken from their cells at night, she didn't understand why. They later found out because they weren't allowed to tell each other. They could have their life taken away if they explained what happened. But she recalls hearing the screams and the cries and not knowing if they're being tortured. Some of which uh, women were tortured as part of this. They said as soon as she went inside, she started screaming because when she was picked, Chinese man with a mask, sometimes multiple men would come in. I don't know how to explain to you. I thought they were torturing her. I never thought about them raping her. The woman took me to the room next door. And when the other girl had been taken in, they had an electric stick. They pushed it inside her and tortured her with an electric shock. She witnessed all of this. She said after 
that something like that happens to you, your mindset is completely different. You become quiet. You become reserved, uh, distant. You don't speak. And this happened night after night. Alongside the cells were classrooms. They wanted to re-educate. Um, they said they wanted to take away any language or religion and wanted them to become part of mainstream Chinese culture. Four kinds of electric shock, she said. The chair, the glove, the helmet, and the stick, which would be inserted into different places. Women were forcibly sterilized, including women who were about 20 years old. Forced sterilization was uh, widespread reported. And they say that you forget to think about life outside the camp. I, uh, she said you were brainwashed. You were taking pills. They were injecting you with things. You had no idea what was going on. All you could think about was, I just, I want to eat. They were food deprived. Everything was severe. Everything that was done to them. They said there was absolutely no doubt that this was part of President Xi's policy. It's unlikely that, as the BBC points out, that he was directing this, but he definitely knew it was going on and allowed it to happen, turning the blind eye. And of these forcible sexual assaults, sterilizations, beatings, shockings, uh, gang rapes, tortures, humiliation, all of these things went on and on and on and on and on and still go on to this day. In fact, you could know that right now, literally in China, this is going on to women as we speak. They said the goal is to destroy everyone, and everyone knows it, and it works. No one's the same. If they ever get out, no one's the same. It's ter terrible. They mentioned that even things like bites, they would go in and, and they would forcibly hold the women down, and as part of the sexual assaults, would bite them, and they would come back with these bruises and these marks all over their body, and considering that they weren't able to see these things. They don't know if it was human or an animal, but all they know is when someone came back, they had all these marks there. These vocational education and training centers for millions of people taken prisoner over the last couple of years in China, for some reason, we can't stop this and we're not addressing it the way we should. And it's sad to think that this story is not one that is mainstream. It is one that you have to find somewhat underground by reporters that decide to put this out there may do, okay, we're putting it right an article and go, oh, wow, some reports out of China and then it's over as if it's really over and it's not. I would encourage you to go read the BBC article. I just read parts of it and I told you that this segment was going to be sensitive and I think you understand why now. Next week, we actually have some guests that are going to be able to join us and it's going to be important for them to tell the story of what's going on in China and the firsthand accounts of what they're gathering, because this this is just atrocious that as a society and a, as a world, we're allowing these things to happen. And again, turning the blind eye to China, who continues to sit and do things as part of the United Nations. And somehow we can credibly allow them to continue to operate with the rest of the world while they are actively doing this, these um, prison camps, just absolutely atrocious. All right, we'll we'll uh, we'll stop there because it's already depressing and sad and horrifying enough. 
This is Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. So next Monday, we have an interview with, he's the prime minister of East Turkestan, and the government that is there, it's part of Kazakhstan, but in the region there, um, he was just elected back in 2019, still serving in that sense. And he's going to come on to the show. His name is Sally Hudayar, and he's the prime minister of East Turkestan. And I'm going to let him describe what's going on because he grew up born as part of a Uyghur business. And keep in mind, a lot of these different people that have been rounded up and taken to these internment camps are from this area. And he's going to be able to give firsthand accounts of the people there and what they're going through and the struggles of having families that have people in these camps and just the the anguish and the difficulty for it all. So that's next Monday night. If um, you heard that story here uh, from the BBC and I, it's just, it's just so terrible and ongoing. And luckily there are a lot of people that do petition to the United Nations. They'll go and they'll say, how in the world can you work with governments like this? How in the world can you sanction and allow them to sit on different committees? How can you let them have a vote or a voice for anything that is human rights? after all the violations that have been documented, and why would you take their word for it? And then again, does it also surprise you that back when this uh, virus originates in Wuhan, China, we find that the World Health Organization downplays it, and who knows what type of different uh, connections they have to the Chinese government in order to try to appease them as an organization. The World Health Organization doesn't have the best reputation, but somehow we continue to do it. I... um. Uh, it's just so heartbreaking, really, is what it is. So I wanted to play this real quick. This is completely unrelated from everything else. And I wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't have time to do it earlier, but I feel like this might be the right time to do it. You know, maybe I'll do it after the break. How about this? Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a look at your weather. We're going to talk to Brad Young from Harris Dow Fisher and Young, and we're going to preview what could be happening during the impeachment trial, which will be starting here soon. We're starting to get statements from both sides. One, uh, when it comes to those that are trying to convict Donald Trump, those also trying to defend Donald Trump in the second impeachment trial, which we know will not end in conviction. It's pretty clear of that. But afterwards, there was a whole nother story with Kevin Colleen, where he talked to a former KMOX employee that goes back in the day. Pretty awesome story. We'll do that after the break. And we'll do that after Brad Young, who's coming up next on Overnight America KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. From Hairstyle Fisher and Young, Brad Young, how are you? Doing great, Ryan. Thanks. I was thinking about this interview earlier, and I wondered if there was some sort of lawyer term I've never heard of that describes a trial without there being any consequence in the end. So normally you would think a trial would get thrown out if a judge looked at it and said, no, nothing's going to happen here. But since impeachment's different, I thought, is there a possibility there is some sort of like Latin term or anything that might describe what we're about to get into in the second impeachment trial? Well, the only thing that comes to mind, Ryan, is you, you probably heard the phrase a kangaroo court. A kangaroo court is a term used for uh, a trial where the outcome is predetermined. So the trial is just a sham and the outcome is predetermined is a kangaroo court. So, you know, if we wanted to to borrow or to coin a new phrase, since a kangaroo is a marsupial, you know, we could certainly coin the phrase a koala court, ah. where the outcome is rather irrelevant. I mean, that that way we were sticking with the marsupial reference, and also it's alliterative, uh, having a koala court. Maybe we could start a new phrase. <laughs> the koala court. <laughs> that's not bad. All right, and maybe that's why Chief Justice Roberts wanted nothing to do with it. So we're getting close, and what we've seen is the both sides present I don't, what exactly did they present? Did they present what they're going to be arguing in their case? Right. Uh, the House managers have to, to issue what is, in essence, if it were in criminal court, it would be an indictment. Uh, and then Trump's attorneys had to file a response uh, to their uh, to their uh, impeachment petition. And so what you saw filed, uh, I believe it was filed towards the end of the day yesterday by Trump's attorneys, was a point-for-point response uh, to the uh, the charge from the House managers. The charge is 80 pages long. Uh, I reviewed, briefly reviewed all 80 pages, uh, and that lays out the case of why Trump should be impeached. Mm-hmm. Is that light reading for you, 80 pages? How does that work in the legal world? Uh, well, thankfully, I'm a very fast reader, so that comes in very handy. Oh, that's great. They tried to teach us speed reading in high school as a skill. I don't think anyone caught on to it, so I'm glad you did. Maybe Is that something that's necessary? Do you have to be a very quick reader if you become a lawyer? Well, in, in law school, for example, the professors would oftentimes say, okay, read the next 200 pages in the book and be prepared to discuss it tomorrow. And then you would have three different professors do the same thing. So, you know, 600 pages is a lot to read uh, for one evening. So, uh, yeah, you had to read pretty fast. Yeah, that'd be a great superpower to touch a book and absorb it. There was a movie in the 90s, I think it was Meteor <laughs> Man, who could do something like that. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be great? So 
you got 80 pages. Uh, they laid it out. And from some of the surface articles that I've read where it kind of talks about the key points of the arguments that they're making against Donald Trump and what they're going to argue uh, to try to convict him in the second impeachment, a lot of it has to do, to me, when I look at it, is auxiliary evidence. It's things that happened around the things he said, not necessarily the things he said directly. And it made me wonder, too, if this were a regular court of law and let's say he was under uh, you know let's say there was a judge up there and it wasn't this political thing it was more of a legal thing would that type of evidence even be allowed no and in fact under brandenburg versus ohio which the supreme court decided in 1969 this case would be literally thrown out of a criminal court because the standard in Brandenburg versus Ohio, is that the speaker must be advocating, and I'm quoting, eminent lawless action uh, in order for the government to punish that speech. And there's nothing in any of the comments made by President Trump that was that were articulating eminent lawless action. So what's interesting, though, is this, because I think uh, the House managers recognize the weakness in that case, because if you look at everything that President Trump said on January 6th, there's nothing, nothing that is advocating imminent lawless action. So if you look at the 80 pages in the impeachment document uh, uh, put out by the House managers, they're looking at the entire process of President Trump challenging the election, and they're stating that that constitutes uh, a, a uh, an attempt to 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 advocate for imminent lawless action. And there's just criminally the case would be thrown out immediately. It wouldn't even get past uh, the indictment stage. Because there's nothing where President Trump said, I want you to go and commit lawless action, and I want you to do it now. And that's what's required under the 1969 decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. We see nothing like that here. And when they bring different experts to talk about it, um, is it Jonathan Tully? Is he one of the legal scholars they brought last time? Jonathan Turley, yeah, Turley, he, uh, yes. he's he is a law professor, uh, and he he calls himself a Democrat. Uh, oftentimes, Republicans use him as a source, but personally, he calls himself a Democrat. But he's he's one that Republicans have used many times, right? And I've seen him write about this, and I wondered if they were going to call him again or what type of witnesses they would bring in in a case like this. So, if you were trying to put the strategy together for Donald Trump, knowing that there's going to really be no consequence, as in you're already out of office, knowing that mm-hmm. there's not going to be enough Republicans to switch over in order to convict, do you think he's going to go on the offense? Do you think he's going to use this as a way to try to push back at this whole process? Or do you think that it's going to be a strictly defensive maneuver for him? I think it's going to be strictly defensive. And the reason why I think that, Ryan, is this. Uh, media reports coming out over the weekend suggested that Trump uh, had either fired his legal team or they all quit because he wanted to use the impeachment trial as a way to argue that he never actually lost the election. That would be an offensive maneuver. And his legal team at that point in time said they weren't going to do that. Either they, they left or they were fired. There's some disagreement on that. Uh, and so if you look at what the second legal team is purporting and arguing, they're clearly using it as a defensive measure. Now, I will tell you there is one, I think, there's one weakness in the argument put forward by Trump's current legal team. Um, their, one of their main positions here is, is that under the Constitution, you cannot impeach a private citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
there is some dispute. I'm not saying they're wrong. There's just no legal precedent for this. Uh, the only time uh, a private citizen has been impeached occurred in 1876. That was the War Secretary William Belknap. He was impeached for graft, and he uh, resigned before the impeachment, and the impeachment trial still went forward. Now, that's the only precedent that we have, and there's two conflicting provisions under the Constitution. One is under Article 2, and one is under Article 1. Uh, the, the provision under Article 2 says you can only impeach someone in office. Article 2, or rather Article 1, states that you can impeach someone in office or uh, as for disqualification to hold any future office. Mm -hmm. So there's some dispute there. But clearly, I think the stronger argument from Trump's team is arguing that nothing what he said uh, constitutes uh, a criminal act, uh, and it doesn't qualify for government punishment under the constitutional precedent of Brandenburg v. Ohio. I think that's the strongest argument. Yeah, it's because the weird thing is it seems like they could be arguing two different things. So you could have the uh, the side of the House Democrats that are going to be pushing for the conviction on this second charge of impeachment. And you could have uh, Donald Trump's team arguing something completely different, which is you, you can't even do this to a person that's out of office. So when they show, uh, from what I understand, they're planning on showing, the, the prosecution side was planning on showing videos of the people breaking into the Capitol and causing the violence and destruction, things like that. And I thought, well, th they can show all those things. And I wondered if Donald Trump was going to, as part of his defense, show similar, if not maybe even more insightful things that were said by the same people accusing him of that, because there's a lot of evidence of that in the last four years, too. And that probably wouldn't accomplish anything, and that probably also wouldn't be allowed if it was a regular court of law. But I thought if you were going to try to do a full-blown defense of what they're throwing at you, I feel like you could probably use that opportunity to do the same to them. Sure, you could you could show lots of of statements from uh, Representative Ilian Omar. You could show lots of statements from, uh, we know AOC could has made lots of inflammatory statements. And so you could show those and say, these people aren't punished for what they have said, but me, President Trump, I'm being punished for what I said, which is much less inflammatory. Yeah, that would be an offensive maneuver in a court of law None of that would be allowed. That would all be stricken <laughs> as being irrelevant. But this is not a court of law. This is a this is a political court, not a legal or a criminal court. And so certainly I think President Trump could take that maneuver. And certainly the longer he stretches out the impeachment trial, uh, the less time the Senate has to work on President Biden's first 100-day agenda. And so, uh, I mean, that would be the political benefit of making this go as long as possible. But I think Mitch McConnell wants this to go as short as possible. So I, I don't see all of that coming into play here. Right. Another question that I wondered about was who was presiding over it. So normally you'd have the chief justice, but in this case, John Roberts has stepped aside, said he didn't want to preside over this impeachment trial, which puts in someone that is biased in that sense, someone that would be overseeing this, that you already know their side to it. So I wondered if the person presiding over this impeachment shows some sort of unfairness, I guess, or doesn't preside over it properly. Is there any repercussion for that, or is it just, it is what it is? 
Well, you could appeal to a parliamentarian. The U.S. Senate has a, a chief parliamentarian, and if there's any procedural rulings that are incorrect according to Robert's Rules of Order, uh, you can always appeal to the parliamentarian. Uh, but that would be a very narrow, a very technical procedural question. Uh, if Patrick Leahy, who's the Senate uh, pro temp, uh, if because he's going to be a, a, in charge literally of this impeachment trial since John Roberts uh, has chosen not to. And I think that's indicative of what the Supreme Court thinks of this second impeachment trial if the Supreme Court is basically saying, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> but in this instance, in this instance, Patrick Leahy, who is a Democrat, is going to be presiding. And, and if there are any procedural errors, there can be an appeal uh, to the Senate parliamentarian. Okay, so this is the koala court. Is that what was uh, how we the branded it? Well, we just we branded it the koala court, which is uh, a trial with no consequence because it's already a foregone conclusion. Uh, as we saw last week, the Senate voted on a procedural question about whether to move forward, and there were only five Republicans who voted to move forward, and that's probably what you're going to see in terms of the outcome of the trial, which means he will not be convicted. Nice. The Koala Court. Well, uh, we'll see how this one plays out. I I don't think that this is going to have the same feel as the first one. I remember during the impeachment, I took my car into the shop and getting some work done, and I was sitting in the shop watching this with other people. And, you know, I was kind of very interested in it. This one, you know, I'll watch the highlights. I just don't see myself plopping in front of a television for 10 hours paying attention to this one. Well, it certainly lacks the significance since the president is already out of office, since President Trump is already gone. So it lacks the significance uh, that the prior impeachment hearing had. And truly, this one, the only purpose is to see whether or not President Trump could be prohibited uh, from holding office in the future, for example, as specified under the 14th Amendment. Uh, But uh, in this instance, it just lacks that sense of urgency since he's already gone. Great. So do you have any appearances coming up soon on KMOX? I, I'm not aware of any in the immediate future, but I'll probably be on with Hancock and Kelly, if not this Friday, then the following Friday. I love every time I catch you during the day, either on overtime or uh, as a guest on one of the shows. You're so good, and I appreciate every time you come on and give us that time here on Overnight America. So Brad Young from Harris Dahl Fisher & Young, thank you so much. My pleasure. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America, KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX. Welcome uh, to Overnight America for just one more segment, and then the replay hours kick in. Brad Young's always so good at taking these different issues and bringing to light what you are seeing unfold in front of you. And I always wondered, where does he get all of that knowledge? Now I know he can speed read like he's a whiz at that. And he can just absorb those things like Meteor Man. I don't know how, but he does it. And that's what's important. Kevin Klein has a brand new whole nother story where he talks to a former X employee. I learned so much from this. And I think that you will, too, if you like KMOX history. Now, as I look back, I'm like, I've worked for so many legends. Miss Blue, Jack Buck. Jack Carney, all of these people that I worked for, you know, and now I'm 68. Valerie Cheers Brown makes an impression on you. She has 
been around the world in a plane, literally, and for a while she worked behind the scenes at KMOX some 30 years ago. What was Miss Blue like? She was the woman who would come in and, and help, the, the cleaning woman who became a, a character on Jack Carney's show. What was she like? She would tiptoe so softly around nobody ever heard of her. When she opened her mouth, she was so full of wisdom. What do you remember that she said to you? Child is never too late. What do you remember about Jack Carney? He used to pass by my window once a month and put a $100 bill in my hand and say, you do deserve way more. The people are call calling in asking, who is that answering that phone? Good morning, CBS, <laughs> KMOX. It was just amazing. Jack Buck? He was a very giving person. He reminds me of Bill Gates. Uh, he was a big giver. He gave me some juicy fruit gum once. <laughs> And his wife, Carol, and I were on the same board down at Stevens College where, where our daughters What were the circumstances of your departure? Uh, you know, I can't really... Oh, uh, I became a flight attendant. Uh, I went actually with somebody else on the interview, and I got the job. We're not friends anymore because of that, unfortunately. But I worked for TWA. So you flew all around the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, What was that like? Was that It was awesome. It was awesome. Everything they say? see the world? Well, I didn't actually get to see the world because I was married and had a daughter, but the fly living out of my suitcase, it was pretty awesome. Nowadays, Valerie Cheers Brown says she's busy with something new. She has invented a new type of backpack, the Swedish posture backpack designed to give you a straight posture. Anybody out there that's young, don't think that it's, it's never too late to fulfill your dreams because I'm getting ready to make my dreams happen. And yeah, well, there's it, some people at KMOX now who would probably like to follow in your footsteps and do something different. <laughs> With a whole nother story, I'm Kevin Killeen. So good. Yeah, back pain. I use uh, the line all the time, I'm a back. And my son at first would laugh, but not anymore. That's real, man. All right, well, that's uh, about does it for us here on Overnight America. I feel like all the time that we spend into this, whenever there's a new... And I mean, a brand new type of story that has to do with KMOX. I'm here waiting to listen to it. I love these things. And I know that you do, too. I'm about due for another documentary sometime soon. I just don't exactly know when that's going to happen. But either way, uh, we'll spend tomorrow night together, too. So we'll be back again at 8 o'clock. we got a couple of uh, replay hours up for you to enjoy, which you'll hear a few different interviews, including one that talks about friendship with Heather Dugan the friendship upgrade and also on the replay hours coming up. John O'Connor is a legal analyst and author of Postgate, and Andrew Bledge is a software engineer and big tech analyst about the chaos that went on in wall street and the technology that is driving it. All of those things will be there, but better yet, you can just go download the podcast. It's available anytime you want it to be search for overnight America on there or social media. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter. Just search for Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook and then at Ryan Recker on Twitter. A lot of different places for you to go. Enjoy the rest of your night. Stay warm. We'll be back again tomorrow night at 8. See ya. Bye. My heart beats with the lonely rain Wishing I could see your face again Change the dial on the radio Find something playing kind of bluesy and slow If things were only like they used to be We'd be lying in love tonight I wish you'd call me on the telephone I don't want to spend another night alone Sleeping with the radio on 
really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 